Welcome to the Supplement Engineer Podcast. My name is Robert Chinesky. Joining us today, Vice President of Scientific and Regulatory Affairs at Nutrascience Labs, Mr. Gene Bruno. Gene, thank you for joining us today. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. Uh, so the first time I ever have a guest on the show, I like to get their background, their history, and how they kind of got into this crazy arena that we call home. Um, now, this isn't the only thing you do. We should let the listeners know you're also a professor of nutraceutical science at Huntington University in Tennessee. So did you start out in education and work your way into the supplement industry? Were you in supplements and then worked your way to education? How did that all transpire? Uh, I started in the supplement industry in 1979. And in my early days, I used to manage vitamin stores, GNCs, greater vitamin stores. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and then uh, got into doing some outside sales, uh, then got into doing training and education, and then got into doing formulation and the science of it. And um, so today I do uh, a lot of formulation mm -hmm. and uh, I do a lot of writing and uh, teaching. And so those are the things that, that, that I do in, in this business. And uh, it's, it's a fascinating business. And over the years, it's gotten even uh, more interesting. Uh, and uh, yeah, I, I, I'm just, I'm happy to be part of it still every, every day. I'm, I'm thankful for the fact <clears throat> that I'm in such an interesting business that always has new science. Yeah. Well, you've, you've had quite a tenure in the industry and you've seen some pretty significant changes gone to like to, from the original wild west days, like DMAA and before DMAA okay. through amp citrate into DMHA. So I guess give the, the listeners a little bit of insight into what kind of the early days of supplements, because I mean, they've been around for decades, but only I'd say within maybe the past 15 to 20 years, have they really come into the mainstream before sure. we're just like super hardcore bodybuilders or like the super granola crowd that were really into vitamins, health, wellness, and all that. Now everything's becoming a little bit more mainstream. It's not as taboo, you know, as, as risque as it might seem to, as it used to be, you know, 30, 40 years ago. Uh, let me tell you, it, it was, it, it, there was a lot of wild west uh, going on back in those days. Um, you know, what you see, which wasn't uncommon, mm -hmm. you'd look at, this was prior to even having a supplement facts panel. This was prior to Deshaies. And, um, you know, they have information listed on the panel uh, about the ingredients, but mm -hmm. some of it was highly suspect. Now, for example, let's say you saw a mineral formula and it says you can take one tablet and get a thousand milligrams of calcium. And it says that the source of calcium was uh, amino acid chelate. Well, you know, you and I both know that the, uh, the that the percentage of actual calcium you get in something like uh, amino acid chelate uh, is really, really low. The highest you're going to get is if you go to like a calcium carbonate and you're around 39%. Right. There's no way you can get even that in one tablet. And so you see all this kind of, you know, bull that was being listed and mm -hmm. uh, you were asked to believe this stuff. And, you know, people did because, uh, you know, they didn't know better. And so you found, and then the claims were just outrageous. I mean, you see claims today that are outrageous, but yeah. uh, they were just crazy back then. You know, you take this magical thing and it's going to claim cure everything from hangnail to cancer. It was just all over the board. And so when uh, the Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act came in, around, um, that was a huge deal for the business. And I remember mm -hmm. all of the efforts that were taken the company I was working for at the time was doing a lot to try to further this. And uh, it was a, it was a great step 
forward. But yeah, uh, look, uh, just a lot of a, a lot of misinformation, a, a lot of a lot of fantasy, uh, mm-hmm. very little science back in those days. Yeah, it probably blows the uh, stuff that Muscle Tech used to do a couple years ago, where it was like three hundred percent more muscle from taking their Createch or whatever. Like the, they had some of the most egregious ads in recent history that the listeners might remember. I'm just trying to think how absurd it probably was even before that time. And oh yeah, it was. Believe me when I tell you, it was worse. <laughs> <laughs> Now, one thing with Deshaya, and so, you know, to kind of, you know, summarize the stuff for the, the listeners out there, that basically it has to be found in nature or, you know, it couldn't, new ingredients these days have to be, have a natural constituent in nature sometimes. But with that, a lot of the vitamins that we see in these formulas are synthetic. So how is it that if I want to, I can't use a synthetically derived alkaloid from a plant, but I can use a synthetic vitamin, like a vitamin C, like ascorbic acid. I don't have to, you know, go squeeze a bunch of oranges and get orange extract to get my vitamin C. I, it has to be, it can be synthesized that way. So can you, well, can yeah, we so let's take it a step further. <clears throat> it's not just a, um, if you read carefully what it could be, it could also be a metabolite. So it could be right. what, what some of these uh, natural substances turn into in the body or uh, become even in plants. <clears throat> so um, it's not, it's, it's, do you find that the dietary supplement is it supposed to be a dietary ingredient? So it's like, can you find, and, and that's very loose because basically if right. it's in a plant or some like, even if you're not really consuming it in your diet, mm-hmm. is it something that um, exists out there? And, um, and even if you take it and you synthesize it, that molecule still exists in the diet. So therefore it's okay. Uh, a metabolite of that. You may even synthesize that. But as long as that's something that is created in your body or created from it, that's okay. If it's something that isn't found in, uh, in, in plant life or in your diet mm-hmm. um, and, and, and you don't metabolize, then it's not okay. That's how they uh, basically set it up. Right. Yeah. And so, that, so with that... Does it have to be in an appreciable quantity within that plant? So let's say you find, and you know, I'm going to reference things back to DMA because that's the, kind of the thing that most people can associate with. So there was the big lawsuits, you know, several years back between the FDA and, you know, a very big pharmaceutical company, a supplement manufacturer. Um, and they were contending that DMAA was a natural constituent of geranium extract but then the counter argument was it's not in a significant enough quantity to where you could actually naturally derive that component from it to where they were saying, this isn't really existing in nature. It's actually a synthetic hundred percent. We're not going to find it anywhere in nature in any appreciable amount to where you could actually get that effect. So how does that right. kind of affect, you know, how does that play well, in everything? You know, what would be really nice, Robert, is, is if there were really clear guidelines on that, yeah. but they don't exist. And that's something I've seen. Uh, over and over again, both with the FDA and the FTC, for that matter. Uh, and, and so in that situation, you know, again, if you go back and you think about what is the definition of a dietary supplement, increasing the total dietary intakes of that thing through your diet so that you get more of it. Mm-hmm. Um, if it, with presumably the goal being by consuming that thing, it is in some way helping to maintain a healthy body. So if you are consuming something from a plant or some food 
And the amount is so minute as to not have any material contribution to your health, mm-hmm. then it becomes, and I'm saying this is probably the thinking of the FDA, yeah. then it becomes harder to make the case that, uh, yes, it may be a natural constituent, but it's not a natural constituent. You would get in the diet in any amount that would have any impact on you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and it's kind of funny if you think about it, because if you look at something like resveratrol, yeah. Resveratrol, very, very popular. You can buy supplements, 100 milligrams, 500 milligrams, 1,000 milligrams. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you'd have to consume about 70 bottles of wine <laughs> to get 100 milligrams of resveratrol. Right. But, but people do drink more wine. And you have, you know, the, um, uh, the French paradox and people consuming enough wine where, yeah, they can actually get some value out of it, even though it scales lower in the, in the total intake, uh, right. but there's still enough to do something. Yeah. Interesting. That's, that's a good way of putting it. Um, yeah. In your current role with NutriScience, you mentioned that you do some writing, some formulation. Wow. The, the style of writing that you're doing, is it more technical? Is it more ad copy, product-based, educational? Where does that kind of fall? Yes. <laughs> so what okay so the writing i do i do i do different kinds of writing so i like for example i write every month for vitamin retailer magazine mm-hmm. uh, and i've been writing a lot for nutritional outlook lately and some others i've written uh i participated in some different studies and done some reviews i've been in peer review journals i've written a couple of textbook chapters i've written a few books but for nutriscience labs what i do mostly is writing of uh, i do two kinds of writing one is you know basically blogs, uh, just mm-hmm. writing information, uh, new, new research comes out, something that's interesting and I want to write about it. Um, or they I say, this is a hot topic. Can you write about that? Mm-hmm. And so I'll, I'll do that. And then the other kind of writing I do is associated with my formulation work. So for example, when I formulate a product, um, I want it to be evidence-based. I want it to be real. I don't want a bunch of fairy dust and, and just window dressing. I want to put in a clinically relevant dose of something shown in, in human research to have efficacy and use the right form. So I'll create the formula and then I'll say, here's the claims that you could make based on that, that are compliant and hopefully compelling. And at the same time, here are summaries of all of the different studies that support that claim. So I write a white paper that supports that whole thing. And so I do a lot. So my formulation always includes a white paper. And to me, that's very important because, you know, listen, you've been around a while. You see how there's so much uh, shenanigans that goes on out there. People making all kinds of claims, no support for one of the wildest claims I've seen out there these days are all the claims you get for like, uh, you know, apple cider vinegar gummies or something. And it's like, really, you got some studies on that? And so and so it's um, um, it's something that is very important to have that that documentation. So that's the other kind of writing that I do. And, yeah, sometimes I will be asked if, um, hey, I want to say something here on the website. I want to say something about this. And sometimes it's easier to just write something for them rather than have their marketing people write something and bring it back to me. It's kind of a go back and forth kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, so there's a little bit of that, but it's mostly the blogs and that technical kind of writing and then the, the industry writing. Yeah. With doing that, because like you, I, I've kind of got my hands in a few different areas. So I'll do some blog articles for some brands. Some want just add copy for the website, uh, you know, white papers, technical stuff for the ingredient houses and, and things of that nature. 
do you have like a certain rhythm or like groove mood you got to be in to do one kind of writing versus another? Do you have trouble like switching your brain from one kind of writing to the more like scientific versus more salesy kind of thing? You know, um, there was a time mm -hmm. where that was the case, but, and I can't really tell you exactly what changed and when it changed, probably just as I kept being asked to do so many different types of writing and, you know, everything is needed, you know, tomorrow or, or, or today or, you know, whatever. And so I, I learned I didn't have the luxury of going, I'm not in the right mindset. I have to get, and it's like, no, I, yeah. I got to do it. You got to get it done. But I do have to do a mental shift. So if I'm sitting here writing something that's highly technical, like I'm writing a white paper and writing all the science behind it, mm -hmm. and I'm asked to write something that is uh, a, a lot more user-friendly for, for like a consumer would say, I do have to stop for a moment and sort of rethink, recalibrate and say, okay, I'm going to write this style. And so if I use a word that I might not need to define in, um, in a white paper, I am going to define it here if I, if I use a word that they may not understand what it is. So yeah, there is some of that that goes on. But you know, in any given day, I could write an article, a white paper, and you know, some copy that a consumer is going to see. Yeah. Uh, with your formulation philosophy, first off, I, I very much appreciate you said you like to do stuff that's rooted in actual human studies. I, I take very much the same mindset. That was kind of my one of the impetuses for me getting into the supplement industry in the first place was I was tired of seeing all of these mystical prop blends that overpromised yeah. and underdelivered. And I just, you know, that's always yeah. been one of my main things is, hey, if you're putting something in your body, you really deserve to know as a consumer, just because I, you know, I start as a consumer like everybody else that gets into the industry. You start as a consumer, you want to know what you're putting into your body. So that's something that resonates very, very you, much with you. Me. Do you not only okay? So, so there's two parts to this. One is you want to make something. I, I like to sleep at night, and I, I would feel really bad if I was creating, you know, uh, just garbage. So I want to create formulas that actually work and actually help people. But there's the other part to it, all right? And that's the regulatory part. My yeah. actual title is Vice President of Scientific and Regulatory Affairs. Mm -hmm. And they, to me, they're combined together. If you're making a claim, albeit just a structure function claim, you have to have science to support it. Right. And the way the regulations are set up, you really should have human clinical studies. Now, people make claims oftentimes uh, on the basis of in vitro and animal studies are really not supposed to, at least certain kinds of claims. And you need to have human studies. So just to support just to have evidence to support your claims from a regulatory perspective in case the FDA or the FTC or even worse, uh, class action law lawyers come to, to uh, knock and you better have your ducks in a row. You better have the data to support that because if you don't, you know, you're going to get in trouble. So it's important to do it right the first time. And if you don't know how to do it right, you know, hook up with people that do know how to do it right. Yeah. Have you seen a shift? Um, from the product page side of things, as far as claims to where obviously the wild west days, you could get away with murder, you know, right. you know, uh, metaphorically speaking. Um, these days, do you find more and more brands just aren't even making any kind of claims whatsoever on their product pages? They're just listening. Here's our, our organ support formula. Here's our joint support formula. And then there is nothing like that. We're not going to get even to what ingredients can do or what traditionally they yes. have been used for kind of thing. I, I have definitely seen that. And, there's a couple of reasons for that as I see it. Mm -hmm. One is just like, hey, I, I'm done with, with taking chances. I don't want to have to deal with this. Yep. 
Uh, I'm not going to ra- wave any red flags. I'm just going to be really uber conservative in my approach. Yeah. And that's one. And the other one is a different one. Um, so, for example, uh, let's take collagen as an example. Mm-hmm. Um, collagen is a very, very uh, popular material used in a lot of products. And um, you will see sometimes um, claims made for collagen. If you're using certain branded materials that have the studies, you may be able to say, okay, um, in the research, it's shown that people who use this had a 20% reduction in like, you know, crow's feet wrinkles compared to placebo over an eight week period. It's pretty specific. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or you can say skin as your claim. Um, yeah. Now, why would you want to just say skin? Because you're not using the material, you're using a, a, a cheap uh, collagen material that doesn't have any science on it. It's uh your body has to break it down, has to absorb it, has to go through all these things. And um, they really haven't done the homework. And so, uh, and, and especially in those cases, you see people will will do the um, the horsepower game. Well, we're going to put in 20 grams of this when, or you can use two and a half grams or five grams of the real thing and actually you show the work. So that's right. one of the reasons why I see, I see both of those things in play. People use crappy materials. And so they use very, ba- very basic claims that are like one word claims. Um, yeah, along those lines, this, this this brings up an interesting thing. We can fork off into one of two directions, but we're going to end up tackling them both. So I think I'll go with the, the one that first popped into my head. With, I guess we can go with collagen specifically, and this will extend to the broader point I'm, we're going to get to, or the topic. Generic versus branded ingredients. Mm-hmm. Do you have a natural inclination to always go one way or the other? Is it more on like an ingredient by ingredient basis? So you just mentioned there's generic collagen, but there's also certain branded forms of collagen like BioCell and I think it's Vericol. Or Vericol. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And both of those have studies using two and a half to five grams of collagen, whereas, you know, just generic collagen studies use anywhere between 10 to 20 grams of hydrolyzed bovine collagen peptides. Um, is it more of an ingredient by ingredient thing where you have, where you'll choose to go for branded versus generic yeah, it, in that case? It is because for example, if I'm formulating with a product and I want to put in some magnesium as magnesium oxide, mm-hmm. honestly, you know, there, there's a bunch of places you can get it from as long as it meets the product specification, the testing parameters, no problem. Yeah. Okay. But if I'm using um, some material that I'm looking to have some very specific claims for, I better have uh, a material that meets those specifications. Now, it could be that I'm using that branded material. Or it could be that I can show bioequivalence with another material that meets the same parameters. Nine times out of 10, in those situations, I'm going to use the branded material because they've done the science. I know I have the support for it. I may pay a little more for it, but I'm going to feel pretty good about the fact that the people who are using it are much more likely to get a, you know, the intended effect. Mm-hmm. And so I'll do that. So again, it just depends on the material that I'm using. When it comes to herbs, it can be all over the board. You know, that's, I mean, I have a, uh, one of my graduate degrees is in herbal medicine and a master's degree in herbal medicine. And, and I, I, it's very important to me to use the right kind of extract, the right type of material. Um, and, but again, even with that, it's all over the board. You can get some really good ginkgo extracts out there, mm-hmm. and then you can get something that's a little bit more obscure. And it's like, you better go for that branded material. Otherwise you're not going to yeah. get anything real. Yeah. Very, very good point. With... The branded ingredients, there's, I don't want to say there's 
a, a frivolous amount of branded ingredients that are coming out these days, but it seems, you know, yes, every <laughs> other, okay, good. Thanks. All right, good. Um, every other week, it seems like there is some new branded or trademarked form of this ingredient. And it seems like we're just rinsing and repeating. I mean, how many different branded citrus peel extracts do we need? Or how many standardized uh, fruit extracts or blue or berry extracts and all that? I thought at a certain point, you know, are we, are we just trying to do something so our own ingredient has can have our own branded form of it when we're not really, I mean, you're, you're just changing the name. You may be changing one or two other things, but in that case, I mean, is it, are we just creating more noise and confusion for people trying to figure out what's an actual quality ingredient versus just can they get something by generic? Is it more of a cash grab on the ingredient houses? Oh, well, look, if you can't dazzle them with brilliance, you baffle them with uh... I don't know what's okay to say on the podcast. So. Oh, you can you can say whatever. Yeah, you, uh, this this yeah. is a and so, so that that's what happens now. So here's what it is to me. I don't care I, the fact that it's branded. The advantage to that, from a scientific perspective, from my perspective, is mm -hmm. that you're you're doing that to provide yourself with some protection because you've done you've put all this money into the research and you want people to know that's the stuff that's been studied. Yeah. And I write a lot about branded ingredients in my um, uh, articles in Vitamin Retailer Magazine. It's all on individual nutraceuticals. And I'll go to a raw material company. I'll see their science and pull all of their research and their studies. And I'll write about it. And I'll even mention in my article the branded material because I want those companies who actually put the work into it to get credit for right. doing something so good. Now, if you don't have the science... You don't have the studies on your material and you just, I'm going to put a trademark next to this and that, and I'm going to get the, so what, what does it mean? Right. It doesn't mean anything. I mean, I don't put it in there just for the sake that it's a branded material. I put mm -hmm. it in there because the branded material has the science to support the claims and it's going to do, you know, what I hopefully want it to do for the formula. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, now I see, I see it all the time. I see people creating a, a branded name for something and I'm like, I get raw material suppliers that come all the time. They do the dog and pony show. Yeah. And, um, you know, they'll tell me about the latest and the greatest. And that's wonderful. And I'll see the branded name and I'll get a little excited and think, oh, I'm going to see some science. Mm -hmm. A lot of times I do. A lot of times I don't. It's just yeah. like, yeah, okay, who cares? Is there a certain uh, amount of proof or a certain number of studies you need to see on a particular branded ingredient before you finally feel like, all right, I'm, I'm confident with this or, you know, maybe, all right, there's this one small pilot study, but I'd like to see maybe two or three more because the sure. problem so, is with some of these things, we might get one study and we never get any follow-up research from that ingredient ever again. Mm -hmm. Well, um, yes. In fact, uh, the answer to that is, it depends on the study and the quality of the study. I have seen studies where they've done, had a fairly large end size. And, and they, it's, it's, I mean, it's gold standard. It's double blind, it's placebo controlled. The parameters of the study, everything done was done meticulously, set up fantastically. Everything was done right. And they had a large group. And that one study was pretty damn convincing. Yeah. And then I've seen studies where you do, I got five studies. And you look at each of them, uh, you know, they're all open label trials and, um, you know, there's no control groups and they had 10 people in the study and it's mm -hmm. like, you know, it, it still didn't really prove it. So is there a number? I would say there's not a number, but sort of officially or from an industry standpoint, 
you like to see like two studies, at least one of them, the gold standard um, and uh, that sort of thing. But, um, you know, again, it just depends on the study. I've seen some published studies that were crap. And I've seen some studies that weren't published that were absolutely fantastic and should be published. Uh, Most of the times the really good ones get published, but occasionally (laughs) you see you see some that are really good that haven't been published yet. And uh, and I'm even OK with that as long as it's really done right. But you got to read it carefully. And, and, you know, it helps to know who's doing the study and what their background is, too. Agreed. Um, one of the, the common arguments against uh, research specifically for the branded ingredients is that they're industry funded. You know, and so I can I can see as a <laughs> consumer, you're saying, well, this is this is bought and paid for by XYZ Nutraceuticals Incorporated. And I said, all right, I understand that. And at the same time, the other side of my brain is thinking the FDA, the NIH, all these black, the charities aren't contributing millions of dollars for us to run all of these double blind placebo controlled randomized controlled trials. It's just not going to happen. So there's that there's that tit that fine line you have to walk of. All right, we need money and, the, and it's got to come from somewhere. So the industry it, it's their vested interest, but at the same time, how much does that impact a favorable outcome in the study? And so that's kind of, I would so, like to ask people's thoughts on that. That's a good, that's a good, I, I, there's two ways I want to answer that. The first way is if our standard for evidence is going to be, we can't really have it done by the company that owns that material, then you have to expand that out to the pharmaceutical world as well. Correct. And if you do that, you're going to have a whole lot less prescription drugs available (laughs) because those guys put millions and millions into their research as well. They should. Uh, So you can't go back. So to me, what's important to go by is not, did the company put money into their, uh, into their material to do research? Well, I hope they do. Mm -hmm. Right. But that's what a peer reviewed process is about. If you, submit your work to a peer-reviewed journal. And I've been on peer-reviewed boards of journals before where you sit down, you read through the stuff and you look at all the data and then you you can write back and say, I want to see how you did this and this, give me more data. And and you go back and you when you finally accept that in a good journal, yeah. then you're like, okay, you know, you've had different people reviewing this saying, this is real. Uh, everything appears to be real above board and so forth. Um, you can have some vanity journals out there where anybody can get anything published for a, a fee, but then you don't look at those journals as being particularly, um, you know, reliable. Right. So no, I don't think if somebody spends money on their material, they're doing the right thing, spending the money to, to make sure that the study's done. You know, what we're concerned about is, are they lying? And that's right. why you go through a peer reviewed process to help ensure that they're not lying. Um, yeah. Very good. Um, with formulation, going back to the formulation side of things, is there a particular niche of products you like to design more than they like? Do you have a natural desire to dabble in one area? Cause we, I mean, supplements can cover everything from just basic multivitamins to nootropics, joint health, liver health, pre-workout, post-workout, and everything, yeah. hair, skin, nail vitamins, going back to collagen. Is there one thing like you just naturally gravitate towards you? Obviously, we have to dabble in all areas, you know, more often than not based on what the clients kind of want. But is there something you just have a, a fervent passion for? So over the years, I have had different areas. Mm-hmm. There were times when I was just all about the sports nutrition. There's other times I was just all about the herbal medicine. 
there were other times I would just get really enamored of a certain nutraceutical and look for more and more opportunities to utilize that because I thought it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. What over the years, what I think I've enjoyed most is getting to the point where I like the challenge of something different. Uh, I don't mind doing the same thing. I love doing, if I'm doing the same thing, I always look for a new way to do it. Something a little different, something a little more interesting. But now at this point in my career, I want to mix it up. I love to say, oh, you want a product for prostate health? You want something for menopause? You want something for sports nutrition? You want something for diet and weight loss? You want something for whatever, whatever, um, condition specific, whatever. I love it. I love it being all over the board because I try to keep up. I, I, I spend a lot of time reading the research, getting visits from raw material suppliers, keeping up with everything that I can keep up with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to put that knowledge to use. I want to try a lot of interesting formulas. Um, yeah. And I love nothing more than being given a challenge where I'm like, oh my God, I've never done that before. In 40 years, I haven't done that. That's fantastic. And I will sit and I will research the hell out of that thing and mm-hmm. find every piece of information I can before putting that that formula together. So no, I don't have one area I gravitate toward, um, but uh, what I do like to do is I do like to, uh, when I formulate anything, I like to formulate it to avoid too much redundancy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see too much, like I can't tell you how many times I've seen a formula where it's like, oh, this is to help increase serotonin. So we put in, tryptophan and we put in 5-HTP and we put in some kind of a natural SSRI, St. John's or whatever, whatever. It's like, doing. You're you're putting way too much stuff in there for one thing or cognitive products. You know, how many things are you going to find for serotonin or dopamine or, or whatever? It's like, no, go for different angles when you're doing a product. Don't get redundant on each thing. And if you, if you do that, you get a much better chance that the formula is working. You don't need 10 different things that, that achieve the same goal. You need different things that achieve different goals towards the same end, you know, and that, so that's what I try to do. And all the formulas, I think that's, for me, that's more interesting and more exciting. And then I also then have to look at what the interactions might be. Are Mm -hmm. the interactions such that they're going to play well together or are they not going to play well together? And you have Mm -hmm. to look at that too. So I like those challenges. Uh, with with your role at NutriScience, y'all, NutriScience manufactures products for other companies out there, correct? Yes. And so you'll be doing formulation for some of these brands that may they need do. formulation assistance. Some people and, might bring their own formula, but you're also going to be offering your own insider. They might just say, hey, Gene, can you give us a formula? And that's, you why I, that's why I enjoy my work so much at NutriScience, because I get it all over the board. Instead of yeah. just like, if you're just doing stuff for one brand or their focus is all this, you're just going to keep doing reiterations of the same thing. By at NutriScience, I get to do all kinds of different stuff for all kinds of different brands, and it's fascinating and it's fun. And I love working with the clients. I love working with the brand owners because I get to hear their excitement and their philosophy, and then trying to help them achieve their goal. I mean, sometimes they come with a formulation concept, mm-hmm. and they have some great ingredients, but they got way too many. And if I form, if I put it together as they want it, you know there's going to be two people in the world that could afford it, you know? And, and so you have to help them narrow it down. Say, okay, what are the claims that you want to get? And then let's put the stuff together in there that'll achieve those goals and, and so forth. So, uh, yeah, I mean, to me, 
that's one of the things I, I like like the most is working with all the different brands and, and finding out what they want, whether it's they got an existing formula they want to tweak a little, or they just come to me and say, I want something that that'll do this. Create something for me. Yeah. Uh, how do you handle a situation in which the brand owner comes to you with a product? They say, hey, we want to do this apple cider vinegar. They want to make an apple cider vinegar gummy. And maybe like in your your heart of hearts, you're thinking, I can't really give you any efficacious amount of apple cider vinegar in a gummy. You're going to have to take 36 of these suckers to get any kind of, you know, appreciable amount of acetic acid to have the blood sugar improvements that we've seen, appetite, whatever, gut health, other right. things you want to All the stuff so, with actual apple cider vinegar. Right. Yeah. So how do you... How do you massage that situation to where you kind of meet, get them to a, a more uh, so, uh, formula that you feel more morally comfortable releasing out into the wild? Right. So there's there's moral comfort, and then there's also the realities of um, a brand who wants to come out with a product who says, "Hey, I want this ingredient in there because it's a hot ingredient." Yeah. Okay. So what I'll tell them is this: I said, "Look, here's what it comes down to. If you want an ingredient in there that is either that that there's not a sufficient amount to do anything, uh, but you want to have it. Okay. We can put that in there, but you're not going to make claims about it. Not on this level. So let's do this. What are the claims you want to make? Let's formulate something that has the ingredients that will allow you to make those claims. And then you can toss in your other ingredient that's there for window dressing. And you can't make any claims other than it contains this. Yeah. Right. And that's what you do. And that's often how it's done in this business. If I had my druthers, I would love to say, I'm not going to put in anything except for clinically relevant doses of all ingredients. Right. Reality is, you know, you don't own all those brands and you can't dictate that. And I'm not yeah. going to be so foolish as to try to force them into that corner. Uh, but I am going to let them know, here's what you can do, here's what you can't do. Uh, you don't want to get yourself in trouble by making claims you can't substantiate. Mm -hmm. You want to put some of that in there, put some of that in there. Uh, just don't make any claims about it other than it's there. Yeah. And I understand, like, from, from the science point of view, you can take the hard line. At the end of the day, though, the general public, if they have an ingredient fixated in their mind that this is going to help, oh. regardless of what you and I know the science says, they're going to go find whatever product. So to, to your point, let's make a quality product that actually has a couple of ingredients in there that can provide XYZ benefit that they're looking for. And then we'll put in the little, you know, hype ingredient in there just to, to you know, assuage of their course. consciences and make them feel a little all warm and fuzzy inside. That, and that's... That's often how it's done. And <clears throat> I can sleep at night if I do that because yeah. I know that I formulate a product that's going to help people, that's going to do what my customer wanted it to do in terms of the claims that it that they can make about it. And um, if it has something else in there, you know, okay, you know. Yeah, it's not harming them in any way. It's not detracting. It's not harming them. It's yeah. there, makes them happy uh, as long as it has the right stuff otherwise. Yeah. Great point. Um, let's see. What does your personal supplement regimen look like these days? <laughs> oh, uh, so the only one I know of that takes more supplements than me is my mother. <laughs> um, I take a lot of stuff, but I know what I'm taking and why I'm taking it. And I have doctors who are friends and I get blood tests all the time. And I always take a look at where everything's at. Mm -hmm. But I do a broad range of stuff. I do, um, you know, I, I do a, a good multivitamin, certainly. I do magnesium. I do omega-3s. I do astaxanthin. I do supplemental. I do 
Oh, my God. All of the things that I do. Uh, Andrew Graffis, I do. I'd actually have to sit there and take a list. Uh, I do so many different. I do a number of different herbs. Basically, I take stuff that help me with. I have a few things that I deal with. Mm-hmm. One of them is I take stuff to help me with uh, maintaining healthy blood pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, I take stuff that helps with inflammation. Uh, years ago, I developed psoriatic arthritis, which is an autoimmune type of arthritis associated with um, uh, psoriasis. And um, I found that there was much that I could do to help keep that under control if I use the right combination of things. I use things for uh, seasonal allergies. I take all the time made huge difference mm-hmm. to from being miserable every day and itchy eyes and just sneezing and ugh, to being i'm okay you know so it's just about the combinations of things that do that and sometimes i switch it up and i change something out but there's things i use all the time then there's things i switch out so i probably take now when i say this please keep in mind that some of these pills are the same like i'll take potassium you know you get like 99 milligrams of potassium yeah. if i want to take a thousand milligrams of potassium it's got to take 10 10 pills you know yeah. so i may take somewhere if i look at what i do in the morning and what i do in the evening i'll take about 50 pills a day but some of that stuff is you know re- repeats like you know i'll take 10 10 potassium that kind of thing yeah um, along the lines of joint health, do you have any particular favorite ingredients like glucosamine and chondroitin? Those are the, the standards that we see all over. And I, like, all right, if we're going to, that's kind of how I feel with not, that's not on the same level as apple cider vinegar, but I think you can get that anywhere. But so when I'm going about making yeah. a joint formula, I want to put some stuff that is not as common in there. Like you can get through that Apriflex or, you know, like the, the certain Boswellia yeah. standardized extracts. Uh, there's a really good Andrographis uh, extract that I like to use in there and some other fun, like turmeric's a good one, which that's kind of just general overall anti-inflammation. Yeah. I like, I like all, I like all of those. I like, uh, I like the Boswellia extract. Um, and I've actually formulated with the Aperflex before. Uh, I have formulated with andrographis materials before. Mm -hmm. I've written articles on both of those, uh, as well. Uh, and, um, certainly certain kinds of, you know, collagen materials that are available, mm-hmm. uh, I've done. Um, curcumin is an interesting one. I mean, there's about as many curcumins, I think, out there as there are grains of sand on the beach. Uh, you just find nonstop types. But many of them have some really good solid science mm-hmm. in, uh, in terms of looking at things like osteoarthritis or other kinds of arthritis. I mean, let's take a very common one. Uh, I say common. Um but uh, uh, only because it's been around a long time, Mariva, the, the curcumin phytosome. That material has had so many studies done on it for so many purposes um, that uh, it, it, it was really one of my favorite to formulate with for a, a long time. And I still like formulating with it, but I tend to gear a little bit more towards ones that you can use less uh, so you don't have to have as many pills in the formula because you need to mm-hmm. take at least 1,000 milligrams of, of the uh, Mariva to do the job. So I'll do some other stuff. But yeah, I I like, what I try to do is say, I'm going to do like a joint formula. I want to do something that affects sort of the structure of the joint. Mm -hmm. And then I want to take something that helps reduce the sort of pain inflammation. Stuff that helps reduce breakdown and stuff that helps promote building and repair. And if I combine those kind of things together, uh, then I feel like, you know, 
it's a it's a potentially good product. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and there's a lot of there's a number of collagen materials out there that have some good data on them. Like you mentioned earlier, uh, BioCell, for example, mm-hmm. you can take uh, you can't do the thousand milligrams, but you can do the two thousand. That has some good data on it. And there's a number of others that are out there that have been yeah. shown to have some just really positive effects out. Mm-hmm. And I've even seen a, an, an eggshell, some eggshell membrane materials with some pretty good data on it. Yeah, 500 milligrams is the dose for those. Or you got the uh-huh. UC2 type 2 collagen, the chicken. Right, right. That, and that one's a nice one, too, although it's a really expensive raw material. Oh, yeah. But it is, um, that one's a nice one, has good research on it. So there's a lot of things you can do, a lot of avenues you can go down. Um, and it's not always the same approach if you're looking at something like osteoarthritis versus like an autoimmune kind of thing like rheumatoid or, or uh, psoriatic, you might want to you know, do it some different things, but yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some like the um, uh, like the UC2 you could use for both because the, the mechanism can work both ways. But um, yeah, no, I think I think there's a lot. And, and, and you notice I didn't say glucosamine chondroitin. That was, the, that was it back in the day. That was the first yeah. big joint thing. And it had some research and it had some stuff on it, but over the years, it's kind of fallen from grace a bit. And while the joint yeah. category has continued to grow, the glucosamine chondroitin category has actually declined. Mm-hmm. And I think part of the reason is that, and I, I don't know this from um, data that's been published, but just my, my own observation is what I think could be contributing to it, is that if you look at people who have osteoarthritis, uh, the people that tend to be overweight and have a lot of um, impact on the load-bearing joints when you get it. Yeah. If you use, if you look at the mechanism for glucosamine chondroitin and what it's supposed to be doing in helping to repair joints, mm-hmm. I think when you have a constant impact on those joints, you're going to have a minimal amount of repair right. if you're obese on that. And so you get obese people taking that. And like I, my, my aunt years ago, who was a very large Italian lady, uh, was saying she's taking it, it's not working for her. And I, I checked it, the form she was taking, everything. She said, it was all the right stuff. And it kind of hit me. You know what? You're just too big for this to be having an effect on you. If right. you were less big, it might have a different effect. So I switched her up, gave her some other stuff, and it actually helped her quite a bit. Um, and that's why I think so many people don't get the result they want. If you, if you can choose your, if you do your inclusion, exclusion criteria for a study and avoid anybody who's obese or significantly overweight, you might get a better result. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's a really, really good point. The, the magnitude of effect that those supplements have probably not great enough depending on that individual's characteristics to where you give them a different set of ingredients that might have a, a better systemic effect on them could ultimately provide better benefit for them. Absolutely. That's, that's an excellent point. Yeah. With, uh, with writing, circling back around, do you um, use any nootropics? Are you a highly caffeinated individual that likes to have a coffee or energy drink when you write? Or, you know, what's what's that kind of look like from that, that standpoint? So I do drink coffee. Um, and that's, uh, I prefer coffee as my source of caffeine or espresso. Yep, um, and I will have a few cups a day. But when I say I have a few cups a day, um, I might have as little as three or as many as five. Mm-hmm. That being said, when I have my cup of coffee, it's about six ounces. Yeah. It's not a vente. It's a, <laughs> yeah, not that, that giant. Yeah, yeah I, have, I have that. And of course, you're probably aware of the fact that there's data out there saying if you consume more cups of coffee, you could actually have a potential reduction in your risk for diabetes, mm-hmm. probably due to the chlorogenic acid content. But 
it is um, it, it's something that I do do. Um, I use some cognitive enhancement ingredients. I, I'm still just to show you how what an old guy I am. I'm still struggling with using the term nootropics mm-hmm. <laughs> because I'm so used to you know cognitive enhancers. It's like eh, it's just another name for that. Call it what you want. Um, but um, yeah, so I st- I use some of those in my my daily routine. Uh, I use phosphatidylserine. I even use a very very good ginkgo extract because um, mm-hmm. there's a lot of crap ones out there. And, um, and so there's a number of things I'll I'll do in 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 that regard, just as part of my daily um, routine of supplements. Mm-hmm. And then I, I don't really do the energy drinks, um, but like I said, I do do the coffee. And I, when I drink it, I'm old school. I drink it black. Oh yeah, I'm the same way. I just make a big French press, and then I just it's it's black. And we programmed our uh, five year old to drink coffee black too. But she she has decaf. We're not giving her the fully leaded stuff. Yeah, she probably, likes super bitter. Probably don't need it at that. Yeah. <laughs> she's not she's not getting any caffeine as long as she's in the house. Not maybe you know when she's older. But the five year old, you you got more than enough energy to carry you through all the way oh, to the right. time. So um, yeah, that, so that's what I do when when I do the writing, and then um, mm-hmm. I write so much that it's also very second nature to me. I have to be, I mean, I can get up in the morning and be barely awake and mm-hmm. sit down and start writing without a problem. Yeah. Um, and I don't have to have a tremendous amount. Of, it's like my mind, everything kind of goes into that shift of what I'm doing and how I do it. I yeah. do find that as it gets later at night, though, then the sort of the creative juices start to dry up a bit. Yeah. Uh, I have to, it's just like anything else. You do anything else for anything for a long period of time in the day. You got to take a break at some point and, oh, yeah. and stop. Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, have you messed around like along lines of specific uh, cognitive enhancers? Uh, do you have any favorites? You mentioned phosphatidylserine, ginkgo. I, love, I like bacopa. Uh, yeah, I love bacopa. I like you... bacopa for a number of reasons. Um, I, I like it because it um, the dosage isn't unreasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not difficult to get a couple of good branded materials. Um, it is, uh, and it gives you a fair number of claims if you use the right stuff. That you can that you can put in there, um, and so I I have a, a lot of fondness for uh, for bacopa. I also like using some. There are some adaptogens that I'm fond of uh, for different reasons. One of the ones I'm fond of just for cognitive stuff because of the claims you can get from it. So I like using a good rhodiola extract. You, you can get some nice cognitive claims out of that one. Um, and then depending upon what it is and what it's for, I might even use a combination of theanine and caffeine, something like that, to okay. be in the, in the products. It just depends on, on, you know, what kind of claims they're looking for. There's, there's a lot of good, lot of good uh, cognitive enhancers, nootropics to choose from. Mm-hmm. Um, with Bacopa, do you go one way or the other as far as Bacognize versus Synapsa? Um, or do you kind of, have you found your kind of own, uh, maybe generic one with to standardized to a certain amount of bacocides or bacopicides that you like? Um, I've done a lot with the, uh, bacopicides, but here's what it comes down to. I don't get too terribly hung up on that. What I get hung up on is what do the studies show that this material does? Mm-hmm. And if the studies are there, whether it's standardized for copicides or whether it's standardized for something else, as long as it has the research showing that it works. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, are there any ingredients that you tend to steer away from when you're going at formulas? Because sometimes it's, you know, there's certain ingredients that can kind of get a little wonky. Like, so melatonin, some people are, are very mercurial about that. They're very forward or pretty, we're only going to use that in very limited extreme cases, like extreme jet lag or if you're traveling a lot. Uh, you know, Hooperzine, new pept is a gray area ingredient, so we won't include that. Um, you know, any anything that you get a little bit wary of, because it, it also kind of depends with, Another I'll throw in there is L-carnitine because there's that TMAO link, which could be indicated with cardiovascular disease risk and stroke. And so it's, you know, I'm always curious to get other formulators' opinions on some of these ingredients and how they personally feel and approach them. So, yeah, I, um, if I look at something like melatonin, um, I, I'm of the mind, I, I, I try to work with my, um, my clients on that and say, all right, who is your target population here? And what is your channel of distribution? Are you selling an FDM or are you selling in natural? Okay. Mm -hmm. If you're selling in natural, probably wouldn't want to go with the melatonin. It's less acceptable than it used to be. If you're selling an FDM, they're, they, they don't have an issue with that. So part of it is that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and in terms of and, and any ingredients, like for example, you remember, I'm not sure how long, how long have you been in the business? Uh, I officially left engineering to do supplements full-time in 2015. Okay. So back in the day, and you've still seen it um, even since then. I remember when uh, colloidal silver came out as an mm -hmm. back in the day. And it was, the claims being made about it were absolutely uh, outrageous. Um Colloidal silver does have some very specific antimicrobial properties, but there were all kinds of claims being made about it. stimulates your immune system. It does no such thing. It is directly antimicrobial and that's it. And people would be taking it every day to stimulate their immune system. And I was like, don't take that every day. That's on an as needed basis. You got a problem. That's that is, it works by interfering with the whole microorganisms system. So it can't function. Take enough of that stuff. It's not going to be good for you. And so ingredients that I think have potential to do harm, I want to be very, very careful about mm -hmm. ingredients that I think we're already getting a lot of that we don't need to have more of. I like to be careful about like what I'm about to say is probably controversial for some, but I'm a proponent of selenium within reason. Mm -hmm. um, there is research showing that the average American gets about hundred micrograms of selenium a day. So, if you want to get another maybe 100 micrograms through supplementation, that's fine. But it's a it's a micro element. And if you start saying, well, I'm going to take another 200 or 400 micrograms, you might be getting too much. That's not necessarily a good thing. So yeah. I, I'm very careful about certain ingredients and how much that I use of those ingredients. Just because it's good, more isn't always better. All right. It's using the right amount that, that that's effective. And, you do, and not necessarily going beyond that is uh, makes sense. I mean, you don't say to yourself, wow, look at this. I take a couple of uh, ibuprofen and that works great. Maybe, maybe I'll take 10. You know, you don't do yeah. that. You know, and, 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 and that should be the same mind with supplements. You got to know what you're doing. So, yes, naturally, every single ingredient I got to take a look at. Why, why am I using it? Is this the appropriate target population for that use? Do I think it has potential danger? Um if it's, if it's used too much, um, you know, 
So yeah, I, certainly I consider that and everything I form in there. Yeah, yeah, especially along the lines of selenium. I've been seeing some very aggressive doses. I'll, I'll put it kindly: aggressive doses in specifically like hair, skin, and nail vitamins and products as of late. Especially you look at some of the ones on Amazon, and it's you see like four thousand percent selenium in there. You know, two hundred eighty percent. It's 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 ridiculous. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's like stop. this be, this because people who don't know what they're doing are formulating. You got marketing people. Marketing yeah. people are formulating. It. They go online. They look at something. Oh, we'll just copy that. Oh, you know what? Let's put a little more of this in because it'll make ours look better. Right. I don't know what they're doing. They formulate a piece of crap. <laughs> yeah. Again, though, again, that's putting it nicely too. <laughs> um, with your role as a professor at the university, what kind of courses are you teaching? So. Over the years, I've taught a lot of different courses. Um, I particularly enjoyed the graduate courses, uh, teaching those, taught graduate courses in herbal medicine and nutraceutical science. And mm -hmm. uh, right now, I have gotten to a point where, uh, just because of my very, very busy schedule, mm -hmm. I am predominantly teaching one course and only to healthcare professionals. And it's about the evidence use of nutraceuticals in practice. So it's saying, you know, how can you integrate, it's kind of an integrated medicine sort of approach. How do you integrate that to your existing practice with your existing um, patients with medications they're already on? What can you use? And that sort of thing. So that's what I'm doing at the moment. Um, and, um, but I like I said, I've taught many over the years, different kinds. Um, I enjoy doing it with healthcare professionals. And I, I'll tell you something that's interesting. Mm -hmm. um, people often think that because somebody has doctor in front of their name, that means they just automatically know, or, oh, they're a pharmacist. They know all about supplements. Um, they're some of the biggest suckers out there. You see people who think, oh, my God, they'll believe anything. You'd be surprised at what some healthcare professionals will believe, uh, you know, uh, about supplements. They, they, they can be just as big a sucker. So I'm really appreciative of the ones that come to our school to learn about this because then they can learn what's real, what's not, and how to assess that properly. And they have the fundamentals of it already. They had to do science in their own education, yeah. but somehow they don't always apply it in the same way to supplements. And it needs to be applied in the same way. Can I uh, have my sister and my mom audit your class? My sister is a <laughs> pharmacist in the hospital system in New Orleans, and my mom is a retired uh, cardiac rehab nurse. And let's just like when we when we sit around the dinner table come holiday time, and it's it's like they've got the healthcare professionals on one side. The, the, the supplement nerd on the other side, it, it, convincing them to try and just maybe try a couple of things is, is a, you know, a, a Herculean effort at best. Oh, no, I, I understand. Um, so how and do you I have get been, those guys I, to kind of like come over to our side just a little bit and open up to the possibility that supplements could so be there, Here's what I've always, here's what I've said for many years. If you look at the people, if you look at people who have some knowledge, or there's some mm -hmm. science background or whatever. Some knowledge, some science. There's, it's, a, it's a sliding scale in the business. At one end, you have fruit, the fruit and nuts. And at the other end, you have the uber scientists. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so you're normally somewhere on that sliding scale. Um, and being on one extreme end or the other isn't good. Uh, because what you need to do is you always need to look at the science. But you need to not be close-minded. And I see people... That one extreme end will be so close-minded if it's anything that's natural, anything that's a dietary supplement, they immediately poo-poo it. That's not science. Right. That's philosophy. All right. And supplements, 
like medications, like drugs, shouldn't be based on philosophy. It should be based on the science. What does the science say? So if you're not going to take the scientific approach, all right, are, are you basing it on science or not? If you're not, um, then you're you're just as bad as the guy out there who says, you know what? If you take apple cider vinegar gummies, it's going to cure everything. You know, just as bad. And that's what that that's some of the arguments that I've made with some people in my life that mm -hmm. have that background um, is telling them that very thing. You're not taking an approach. You know, let let me give you a couple. Of, I'll just give you a couple of studies to review. You just review the studies. Tell me what you think. Sometimes they're willing to do it. Sometimes they're not. But um, but you know you know as well as I do that a lot of healthcare professionals don't even like to sit down and read the studies. You know, they'd rather have the pharmaceutical reps come in, tell them some stuff, give them a brochure, and then they start using the stuff. You know? Yeah. So yeah. It's, 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 a, it's always an interesting thing. I always call my sister. I say you're working for the enemy. I'm I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm on the righteous side over here. And then of course See, she says I I think <laughs> I, I I think it's so important for healthcare professionals to gain an understanding of at least some very fundamentals mm -hmm. in nutrition and in, in, in supplement science and understand how that can have a positive impact. I mean, you can look at something as basic as, are you prescribing a statin? Okay, you're prescribing CoQ10 with that, right? You're not? Well, what about the fact that that's the same metabolic pathway and you're, just, you're, you're gonna be interfering with CoQ10 production? You, you gotta compensate. I mean, something as simple as that. Yeah. Or even the, the ones that have, a, you know, considerable amount of studies behind them. You know, we've talked about curcumin earlier, creatine. I mean, so some of these basic ones, you don't have to get to like the super aggressive end of the stuff, but or even like the stuff that's barely got enough human studies. But like the pillars of supplements that have hundreds, if not a thousand studies behind them at this point. Yeah. Get, get acquainted with those and that those can only stand to benefit your patients. Oh, sure. Exactly. And you chose a couple of good ones. There's tons of stuff on curcumin, tons of yeah. stuff on creatine. In fact, when people come up to me and ask, you know, like in sports nutrition, what are the things I can take? You know, the, the first two things I say to them is, you know, creatine would be my creatine and a good protein, a good, maybe a weight protein or some others. Those, those are my two top choices. And then there's yeah. a bunch of other stuff from there you can look at. But, you know, if you just if you just go to that, you're going to start seeing improvements and and, and people get really crazy about a lot of the different forms that you have mm -hmm. with a lot of the different. And there are some that are interesting, and I've seen some good studies on. But even if it's just plain old creatine monohydrate, that's really what most of the research has been done. Yeah, exactly. On. Yeah, it's the cheapest, it, or it used to be cheap before uh, the, the massive price spikes in, in creatine alone and whey protein over the past couple of years. It's been ridiculous. Oh, yeah. But uh, yeah, awesome, Gene. I think we can uh, table things there and we can have you on. Sure. At a second time, we can go down some other rabbit holes as far as just the creative process of writing, avoiding like burnt, like burnout with some of these ingredients. Because you start to write about a certain topic for too long, and then it, everything just starts kind of jumbled together. And I think oh, that would be and, a and really if something gets hot, let me tell you, oh, I, man. I was having request after request for can you do an article on immune health. Can you do an article on immune health? I can't. I can't even count how many articles I had to do on immune health. And you're trying to how do I give a new angle? How do I do a new thing? How do I do a you know, so yes, yes, that 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 in itself can can be a challenge. But um, yeah. you know, if I may be so bold, I'd like to just um, at, at least if we're ending here, just make this little pitch, if I can, for absolutely why I I think that any brand owner or anybody interested in, in 
uh, having their own brand of dietary supplements might want to consider Nutriscience Labs. Um, so one, one of the reasons is they are NSF GMP certified. There's a number of places that are, but that's important. That means they are doing something right and they're doing it according to, third, to the standards of a third party credible organization. The other thing is, unlike most contract manufacturers, they actually have a, a on-staff um, supplement formulator who can uh, actually come up. And I don't mean somebody who, a lot of times you'll have, oh, we got a formulator, but they mean like a manufacturing formulator, not a conceptual one. So that means you can tell them what you want to put in there and they can know what excipients to put in to make it work when they punch out tablets or fill capsules. But if you say, what is the right stuff to use and the right combinations to have this effect? Most most don't have that. We do. We also offer the regulatory services. So we're going to help you with the kinds of claims you can make, how you can make them. If you want distribution, it'll help you with label design and labels and packaging and everything from A to Z. Um, it's a real almost concierge type of, of service uh, that you can get. And I think that's really important, especially when somebody's starting out. They don't know what all the rules and regulations are. They don't know how to do everything right. And to be able to have somebody who has all of that experience. And we have people there. I mean, I've got the most years just because I'm the oldest. But um, we have people that have been in the business 20 years plus. Uh, really, really extensive um, experience in our team. And I'm, I'm very proud of our team there. We also have a really good quality assurance department that I, I supervise there. And um, I think people are going to find that they're going to get a very high quality product at the, um, the price range that they're looking for with the kind of claims they want to have, um, you know, things done right. Yeah. And we don't, we don't overpromise and under deliver at all. We're going to tell you right up front, you know, we're going to let you know what the costs are going to be, how long it's going to take. Uh, we're not going to say, oh, you're going to get it in four weeks. Nobody gets it in four weeks. <laughs> and we're going to be honest about everything going through. Um, and so I feel, I feel pretty good about that. I'm glad to be associated with Nutrisize Labs because of that very thing. They're very straightforward. They're very honest. Um, they've won awards uh, for, for what they do. Um, they've been, uh, you know, one of the fastest growing uh, uh, companies in, in the U.S. just because of that. They've actually won awards for that. So I think, I think it's a really good company. Yeah. Um, any specific point of contact you want me to have to link in the show notes or just put at uh, the website? Um, yeah, I would, I would just give them the, um, let's see, do I have a, like I made notes and I didn't even use them at all. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. Uh, see if I put anything on that. Give me just a second here and I'll. I have my uh, laptop sitting up higher than I would normally do. Yeah, I would just say that they can call 855-492-3788. And they can also go to NutraScienceLabs.com and get a lot of information right there or request quotes and you know that sort of thing. Perfect. I'll include that information and links to NutriScience Labs in the show notes for everybody. Uh, any other parting words, Gene, before uh, we put a bow on the package and send it out the door? 
Uh, no, just that I, I think it's a lot of fun. I, I'm glad. I like the questions that you asked. I like our conversations. I like the back and forth. It was fun. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. And uh, we'll do this again soon. I really enjoyed our conversation, Gene. Cool. Thank you.